0: Welcome to an all-new SP Nation. As always, I'm your host, Scott Piper, because you can't have SP Nation without the SP. It's Thursday. You guys already know what's up. It's time for an all-new, all-exclusive, special SP Nation episode. But before we get into that today, I want to make sure you guys are following the SP Nation Twitter account, which is at spnation Five. At twitter.com to stay up to date for when new episodes are coming out, if there's going to be any type of delays, any type of news, and just to connect with me in general. I will always answer back um, questions, comments, concerns. You know, let me know what's up. I would love to hear from my fans out there and uh, just communicate a little bit better. And also check out the Facebook page, which is Facebook. Uh, Facebook slash SP underscore nation to also get checked out on all the new stuff, all the new links, and any new decisions that we got coming on. Um, Today we have a very special episode. I have a very special guest from the Parental Advisory Movie Podcast. Mr. Jeff Hall is going to be coming in, and we're going to be talking about movies and then we're also gonna be talking about a very special subject which is who's a better soundtrack composer john williams or jerry goldsmith it's gonna be a really fun episode so sit back relax or if you're on your way to work have a good day at work and if you're on your way home from work i hope you set that place on fire because fuck work <laughs> um anyways I'm going to introduce Jeff and we're going to get this episode coming on. So sit right there.
1: Thank you. Uh, thanks, Scott. Yes. Um, parental advisory movie podcast. We, along, myself along with my co-host Patrick, uh, Terry, we basically are two dads that love movies and we talk about movies that, uh, you know, we see with our kids. A lot of them are ones. Most people will not want to watch, but we, uh, As we like to say, take one for the team and we watch them so we can then provide said information, you know, back when theaters were open as to whether or not it's one you should invest in uh, spending the money or maybe wait till it's on streaming or uh, Redbox or something like that. Uh, But we also talk about movies that we see without them because there's obviously more movies uh, available for us adults. So we talk about those movies as well. Yeah, that's pretty much it. We've been on for about a year and a half, and uh, yeah, we've had uh, some interesting guests. Uh, We've had three directors, two comedians, and I think two actors. Awesome. Two two podcasts, yeah.
0: That sounds awesome. Yep. What would you say is the worst kids movie that you've had to sit through?
1: I don't know. So far, it's kind of been a tie. Thankfully, my daughter has decent taste. My son is 10. My daughter's 6. Uh, my son will see pretty much any action movie. We've been going through the Fast and Furious franchise, uh, starting with 5, because that's when it gets more fun. And right. we just finished 8 not too long ago. Um, my daughter is the one that will drag me to really bad ones. Um, I watch Show Dogs, which isn't completely terrible. Um, it's got Will Arnett and Natasha Lyonne. Um, It's a decent voice actors about an agent trying to undercover an illegal animal smuggling ring at a dog show with talking dogs and all that. It's got its moments, but it's not great. Um, I love Kelly Clarkson, but taking my daughter to go see the Ugly Dolls movie was, was tough, even for a big fan like myself to sit through. And uh, we actually rewatched it not too long ago, and it's still, it's got some good themes about friendship, and, you know, basically it's about how people are on the inside, not what they look like on the outside, but overall, it's just not fun, right. at least for adults. Kids will enjoy it.
0: But, Those um, are
1: probably two, two of the worst, In the Dumbo live action was a little bit tough, but it was still better than the evil Lion King and Aladdin. Right.
0: That kind of uh, reminds me about uh, movies that aren't necessarily super fun to watch. Is, um, you know, I was f- flipping through Disney Plus last night and um, I clicked by and I saw uh, Fox and the Hound on there. And I remember watching the movie as a kid and I was like, oh, this is going to be kind of a cool little flashback to whenever I was a kid. And um, I did not realize just how. Not fun of a movie that is like
1: uh, that's me with the rescuers. The first rescue is very depressing and very sad. I'm like, I don't remember right. this movie being this depressing.
0: Well, it's like, um you know, I, I was always a huge fan of the brave little toaster until I rewatched that too. And I realized that is a super dark movie for a Disney movie and a kids movie. But, um, you know, there's something still a little bit fun about the Brave Little Toaster. But man, like right off the bat from Fox and the Hound, like his mom gets shot. um, And then him and uh, the Fox, Todd and, you know, uh, Cooper, the uh, hound dog puppy they're supposed to be best friends and they're like best friends for like a good 10 minutes of the movie. And then the rest of it is uh copper trying to kill Todd. I'm like, this does not speak good about friendship in the least.
1: No, not at all. It's a very tough movie to watch. Oh Um, yeah. And that's kind of how I feel with, you know, there's a lot of Disney movies that are kind of have those themes of, (laughs) you know, like it starts out one way and it's funny as you watch it, as you, you know, as people become adults and they go back and try and not necessarily relive their childhood, but rewatch a lot of the same movies that they watched when they were younger, thinking, "Oh, they're gonna love so and so, love this, or oh, I can't wait to watch this again now that it's available for me to see it and I haven't seen it in so long." And then you go back and like, "That's not. This is not good. This is bad. Why? Why is this so sad?"
0: Right. Exactly.
1: And I kind of had that, and for me, that was what it was like for me to watch the Dumbo animated when, when I introduced it to my son and then I, you know, I guess temporary amnesia when I fast forwarded, you know, another five, six years later when I'm watching it with my daughter and realizing this movie is dark. This movie is very sad. There's not really a great, you know, anything happy going on until like the very end. Right. And that's it. <laughs> this movie is very sad.
0: Yeah.
1: It's... Um, what was it? Uh, they did a better job was, uh, was it, my name is Ivan. I think it is, or something like that. It's about the gorilla. It's on Disney plus based on a true story. Brian Cranston's in it. Um, it's based on a Well, it's based on a true story. And it's also based on a children's book. That movie I thought was a little bit better, but it still had a lot of depressing themes. And, um, thankfully my daughter watched it twice and then moved on. So, but, right. Yeah, it's, yeah, some dark stuff going on with Disney. <laughs> well, and but there's also some great stuff. Um, I actually started rewatching, not rewatching, finally getting around to watching the old Kurt Douglas or not Kurt Douglas, sorry, Kurt Russell uh, Disney movies from like the '60s, and those are a lot of fun. They're just great, yeah. you know, cotton candy kind of movies that just kind of wash over you, and you can move on after it's over. Yeah, you don't really. You know, try and delve into the, um, you know, try and dig dig into the logic of it. You just kind of just watch it and just let it wash over you, and then when it's done, you're like, that was enjoyable, and then you move on.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know, there are so many of those Disney movies, and then you uh, get caught up in something. I forgot if it's called the Dark Ages for Disney or not, but it's like. It's like a certain time period where Uh right after Walt Disney died, you know, all the movies that Disney was putting out, it was a lot darker and it's Mm -hmm. it definitely seemed like the magic that Walt and, you know, the original nine Mm -hmm. animators, it just seemed like it wasn't there anymore. And, you know, like I said, with Fox and the Hound, it's a dark movie, not just story wise, but. Visually, it's an ugly movie to look at. It's a dark movie. The backgrounds aren't super bright and colorful. It's a very muddy, you know, animated film, I think, which I was hoping it was going to be super good because, you know, I liked it as a kid. You know, I was like Todd and everything. And then it's just like, you know, rewatching it. Is Todd the good guy or the bad guy? In it is copper the good guy or the bad guy in it, and then you're left with the ending of, well, that's kind of depressing because I guess they just kind of go their own separate ways and everything. But it's like there's no real resolve to it. There's no real good ending to the movie, unfortunately.
1: Well, and with uh, with a lot of like you know with a lot with Disney and like a lot of other movies where you kind of. Revisit that and look at that. You also, you know, from at least for me, what I do is I look at when it came out and then what's going on. And because you know what they say about movies, movie movies can be a reflection of society and what it's going through culturally during that time period. Going on, other than I guess Reagan's getting sworn in around that time, but that's about it. Um, so it is kind of one of those things when I watch movies, especially older movies, that I'm kind of wondering what's going on here i'd usually will look up and see when it came out to see what else is going on to see what it's what the either the screenwriter or the director is trying to what what their message is trying to say about what's going on right in the world
0: and and especially for your type of podcast like i feel that definitely adds like a a, an added bit of information to how you review films as well
1: yeah um it was kind of weird our latest episode we since February is Black History Month, I ended up watching. I mean, just, act, you know, actor, actress, screenwriter. You know, something right. that um, whether it's new or old, um, kind of spotlight for the month. So we're gonna try that. I think. So, but we try and um, do something special for something's going on, and try and get it. You know, tie everything in.
0: Well, that sounds really awesome, and you know, it definitely sounds like you are the perfect guest for today's topic here on sp nation like i mentioned before you before we started this interview um i started listening to a soundtrack by jerry goldsmith who if you guys don't know the name jerry goldsmith you do know the name jerry goldsmith trust me um it was a star Trek soundtrack and it encompassed all the themes from all the movies And all the TV shows up to, I think it was Insurrection. I'm not totally for sure. But when you isolate those tracks separately from the movie, separately from the acting, the story, the CGI, and the narrative of it, and you just listen to the actual music of it, it becomes such an essential part of the film that you don't even realize it. And then it got me to thinking about, you know... There's another very well-known composer in film, TV. You know, basically a super well-known, you know, person named John Williams. So on today's episode of SB Nation, I kind of want to go over a the topic of John Williams versus Jerry Goldsmith. So, uh, with that being said. Just touching a little bit on both these guys is just phenomenal careers. John Williams has 52 Academy Award nominations. He's won five of them. He's got six Emmy nominations with three wins. He has 25 Golden Globe nominations with four wins, and he has 71 Grammy Award nominations with 25 wins. And... Jerry Goldsmith, um, even though he has significantly less nominations, he still has such an impressive resume with 18 Academy Award nominations and one win. He has seven Emmy Awards nominations, and he won five of the seven. He has nine Golden Globe nominations, six Grammy Award nominations, and 17 Saturn Award nominations with one win. So right off the bat, you may think, statistically-wise, John Williams is super superior to Jerry Goldsmith. But on the other hand, it, it it's not exactly that, because I feel like they are, you know, even though they are so well-known in the film industry, that they are very different um, composers.
1: I agree. They're um, very well, I mean, diverse in their, in what, what all they've done. They've all done, they both have done TV. They both have done movies. Um, I saw that uh, Jerry Goldsmith, actually, his first debut film was in, well, his first debut was on a TV series called The Lineup in 1954, to tell you how long ago his uh filmography i guess it's still considered um when in his first movie was black patch in 1957 and john williams started in 1958 just a year later with daddy-o and it was his feature film debut and he was credited as johnny williams and that went on for like a decade i think before he finally shortened it to just john williams right Um, the best, I mean, I'm kind of, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I think by me, go ahead and kind of like what I was saying earlier. I think John Williams is more for fan service. It's more for your, I don't want to say general audience, but it's, it's more, it's, he's going to be the one that everybody's going to know and be able to hum any of the music. If, if you know, if I said Star Wars, you'd be able to hum Star Wars, any theme from Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. If I said Jaws, you're going to know it. If I say Harry Potter, you're going to know it. If I say Jurassic Park or Superman, all of those themes, everyone can hum, you know, like that. But if I were to say Jerry Goldsmith, you're probably not going to know too many themes to kind of start humming along. So I think John Williams is kind of more of a fan service type of composer in that basically you could be anybody and be able to hum all this. I think Jerry Goldsmith is kind of more for, like, film nerds like me and, um, and people of that nature, because with his resume, you've got Aliens, Star Trek, Twilight Zone, the movie. John Williams did Superman. Jerry Goldsmith did Supergirl. <laughs> so they each right. got somebody in the family. <laughs> but yeah. also did L.A. Confidential, Chinatown, Planet of the Apes, The Omen, Basic Instinct. Like, And one of my personal favorite favorites growing up as a kid the burbs
0: yes which is
1: more of a which is kind of his experiment into going to the kind of the tim burton route of of uh composing because it's very tim burton
0: yeah exactly i like
1: it.
0: which i'd um you know when i'd watched the burbs like i swore it was danny elfman who did that um yeah that entire soundtrack for the burbs which you know you are right you know john williams Everything he's done, like the Poseidon Adventure, Earthquake, Jaws, Towering Inferno, Close and Cowers of the Third Kind, all the Indiana Jones, he did Home Alone, he did Schindler's List. All that stuff is just, it's so iconic to the point where, to, to me personally, I think John Williams really brought that classical composing and made it, in a way, cool, because... Yeah, you know, like you said, s- everyone can pretty much hum out, you know, the tune to Star Wars. Everybody knows that dun, 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 from Jaws. You know, those are such iconic themes that it's it's deeper into film culture than what a lot of people, you know, believe, because it's like he has a certain sound that, you know, John Williams, you know, it doesn't matter the rest of it. And that's the that's what's made this such a hard topic and debate for me, especially because I thought it was going to be a cut, cut, clean and dry uh, conversation for John Williams. But it's like, like you mentioned, you know, Jerry Goldsmith, he did the Twilight Zone movie. He did um, the theme from the man from uncle TV show. He did all three of the Omen movies. He did pretty much all the Star Trek films, except for Generations, I believe. He did Poltergeist. He did Gremlins. He did...
1: Poltergeist.
0: Yeah, he did... um, You know, he did Total Recall. He did The Mummy. And I didn't even know he did the theme... He did the uh, soundtrack for the uh, Mulan movie, the Disney cartoon. And it's like... And that's the thing with John Williams, or not John Williams, um, Jerry Goldsmith, is you know Jerry Goldsmith, even though you don't know the name Jerry Goldsmith. So when you find out, like, oh, the guy who did Omen is the same guy who did that triumphant, powerful Star Trek theme, you know, it gets you to thinking, like, man, what else has this composer done, you know? And then you flip through, oh, this guy did Gremlins? what he did the poltergeist you know he's he seems like a cooler type of guy you know john williams most of his stuff is um steven spielberg or george lucas and you definitely see that all throughout his resume but you know jerry goldsmith has this kind of cool like he does a lot of horror movies he does a lot of sci-fi he does a lot of different things
1: yeah and he does a lot of franchises. I mean, John Williams too, does a lot of franchises, but yeah, he did the Star Trek. He did the Omen series. He did actually the Planet of the Apes. He did that one and escape um, from Planet of the Apes as well. And he did uh, both Poltergeist. Well, two out of three of the Poltergeist. Third one, I don't think. Um, But yeah. And what I found uh, in both Gremlins one and two, the new batch, um, Still, my favorite of the two, I think, because it's more lighthearted. <laughs> but he did first night, which I remember having it on CD when I was younger. And so, for me, I think I think that uh, Goldsmith's probably best was either in God, either the late '70s or the '90s. I think both of them really peaked in the '90s.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely.
1: At least in my in my it was for me. I think I think.
0: And, you know, especially in the 90s, you couldn't turn around and watch a movie that wasn't scored by either one of them. You know, yeah. you had um, you had the Star Trek series that was, you know, at the top of its peak, you know, and you had all the Rambo movies still kind of coming out. You had just I, I think 80s was definitely Jerry Goldsmith's absolute top just because, you know, back to it, he did he did Gremlins, he did the Burbs, he did all these different, you know, classic eighties movies, and then it just kind of he still went on with the nineties, but it wasn't as many memorable, yeah. movie. Well, I wouldn't say not memorable, but not iconic movies,
1: right? I can, yeah, no, I agree. Um, but God, John Williams. <laughs> There's a, I was looking through his. I forgot about that one. And then, oof, forgot about that one. Um, when I came across Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. God bless him. Right. That had to have been a hard one to score. <laughs> That's right. a hard one to watch.
0: That's um. That might be the whole reason John Williams loses this debate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, he also did Phantom Menace. So, he's uh, eh? not out of the woods on that either.
0: Well, I um, mean, to be to be fair, though that duel of the fates
1: that is no, that's a good point. That's probably his. And even save the movie with that one, to be
0: honest, even with, um, attack of the clones, there are some really beautiful pieces on there. I I think it's called the love, the love theme. I think it is, um, from episode two. It's basically anytime Padme and Anakin are together, that music plays. But when, Once again, when you isolate that track and listen to it by itself, that is a beautiful piece of music. Yes.
1: So, I don't know. So, one of my favorite scores actually, I mean, I love Star Wars as much as any kid that grew up in the 80s as I did. Um, But one of my favorite, favorite scores of his, I probably, I think I still have it on CD in the other room, um, is the uh, JFK score. For uh, Oliver Stone's film, JFK There's an amazing snare drum Because I, I attempted to play drums in high school um, I, Well, no, I have to take that back I did play them, I just wasn't good so, <laughs> But it didn't stop me anyways
0: Alright, I did not necessarily mean to cut Jeff off In the middle of his conversation But whenever I was editing this episode um, I lost just a tad bit of audio Right in this section, so I decided this would be the perfect time to go ahead and do a commercial break for you guys, and to talk about our sponsor, Anchor. So we will be right back with Jeff Hall talking about John Williams and Jerry Goldsmith. All right, I'll see you guys in a second.
1: Like it's rolling in my head, freaking beautiful. And then there's this great, just little uh, that trans just starts off with this drum solo. On a like a, a marching snare drum, and it just quack, 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 quack. And it just it's awesome, it helps kind of build the suspense at the very beginning, and right? And you hear the violins and the cellos just kind of add that intensity, and then the moment happens. And then because it's an Oliver Stone movie, there's a lot of conspiracy talk and different things going on. And then there's like it sounds like you know, kind of like bongos and different things going on to make it you know, kind of jungle type things.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: cube but I don't know but it uh but it's just adds that and then uh, the horns just to add more intensity to it and it really I think the the score in that film adds so much intensity to an otherwise just a talkie I mean it's all it is it's all you know JFK is just a, a, it's like a Aaron Sorkin type film and the way it all it is is just walk you know as a as the uh I guess old added old adages with Aaron Sorkin movies, a bunch of walking and talking. That's kind of what JFK is if you take away the score. Right. I mean, still beautiful movie, great performances, beautifully shot and all that. One of my one of my all-time favorite Oliver Stone films. And then he was able to take that and basically do the same thing with Nixon. Born on the 4th of July is not. Is probably the least memorable for me as far as between the three collaborations on with uh, Oliver Stone and John Williams. Right. Um, but that JFK score is just, for me, is still hands down one of my all-time favorite scores to listen to, because yeah. I'll put that in the, like I used to put that in the car and just listen to it while I'm driving around or driving to work somewhere. Like it, it's just something I could put on.
0: Oh yeah, totally. Um, and and, and um, see, it's it, see. It, it's like for me with John Williams, it's like there there's so many good scores. You know, you almost want to be instantly drawn to his big pieces like you know, star Wars or Indiana Jones or, you know, Jurassic park, just because, you know, without even paying attention to it, you hum those theme songs all the time. You hear them all the time. But I mean, if, if I'm going for a John Williams, I'd have to go with those early Harry Potter films. Like the, the, the way the theme is for Harry Potter in those movies, it, sets up that whole entire universe musically. There's such this perfect, you know, mystery, you know, fantasy sound that, you know, when you hear. Yeah, exactly. When you hear the Star Wars theme, you you instantly think X-Wings, Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, you know, that's what comes to mind. This really exciting adventurous thing and with indiana jones you always picture you know harrison ford with his whip and you know he there's such an icon iconography i probably screwed that word up so bad but um there's such a i
1: would have
0: done yeah there's such an icon i whatever there's such thank thank you yes it's so there with his scores that you know, for me, I'm just kind of have to go with Harry Potter being some of his best least work because I actually not realized it that he had done the scores for Harry Potter when um, those first three films came out. I was like, you know, this sounds so good. This is so, this is such a perfectly, you know, scored film. And then I'm like, oh, no wonder it's John Williams, right. and. um As far as Sherry Goldsmith, I'm so tempted to go with the Star Trek films because it's the same thing with John Williams is, you know, you hear that inner, you hear that main Star Trek theme for the movies, um, not the TV show, but like those first movies. And when you listen to them, it's the slow buildup and you instantly visualize the, um, even though it was a really super boring movie, the um, motion picture, the first Star Trek film. And when that theme is playing, when they're doing the uh, close up flyby of the brand new Enterprise, totally redesigned, and it just fits that piece of film. Like so, what was that?
1: Like a glove.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like it feels perfect. And It builds up, you know, the uh, little shuttle pod that they're on docks with the Enterprise. And it just works so phenomenally. And then you go back a few years and this is the same person who did Alien, the, the movie that gives you the most uncomfortable feel of all time, because once again, his score that he does it works so good with HR Geiger's creepy designs. Everything mm-hmm. about Alien is to me it's the perfect horror sci-fi because you have um Oh, what's what's it, what's the director's name? Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to make sure it's the right one. Yeah. The um camera did the second one. That's why I th- that's what I was thinking. Um you have Ridley Scott's wonderful direction you have hr geiger's fantastically disturbing drawing you have the xenomorph and then to top it all off you have this already building sense of dread in that movie like you don't want to be anywhere near the nostromo you know you don't really want to be near those characters or anywhere on that ship because it's so dank it's dirty it's grimy And then you have this creepy, dark, empty, lonely feeling score. And it's the same person who just did this majestic powerhouse um, on Star Trek and who would go on and do the Gremlins theme. And he's doing this super dark thing. So for me, you know, you can always find a John Williams score right out of the box. But as far as Jerry Goldsmith, You have to work a little bit harder, but you get this kind of extra reward for your hard work and finding, whoa, he's got a layer under that top layer versus, um, John Williams, where powerhouse, 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 powerhouse.
1: Here's a good way to think of it too. I just kind of popped in my head. John Williams is the extrovert and Jerry Goldsmith's an introvert. Yes. Very. It's very more reserved. It's, I don't want to say subtle, but it's, you know, it, it's not trying to, it's not trying to like yell at you. (laughs) Here's my anthem. Here's my anthem. It's, it's very just, I'm here. I'm part of the story. Don't, I'm not trying to stand out, but you're going to remember this because I'm building, I'm building suspense and you don't know it (laughs) because you're, because by doing it subtly, it builds, the, it helps build the suspense and makes the movie just that much more, um, fo- it makes you more focused. There you go. Right. Um, into watching the movie because it just draws you in. There we go. That's what I was trying to do.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, so if you, for people that like alien, uh, or the, you know, spe- uh, especially the first one, I've got a movie recommendation. It's on, on demand. Um, I found it on iTunes, rented it, loved it so much, I went and bought it for like five bucks or something like that. It's called Memory, the Origins of Alien, and it talks about from concept all the way through writing the script to trying to get it made to finding a director, finding a cast, special effects, the problems they had with it, the problems of getting it financed. Um, It's an amazing documentary with with uh, archival footage and stuff that hadn't been seen before. Right. Um, Came out in 2019. Highly recommend, highly recommend um, for fans of Alien. I believe they actually interviewed uh, Jerry Goldsmith from archival footage, from interviews and stuff. You know, when I was looking this up, so John Williams has 147 credits. Yeah. Which is a ton. Oh, yeah. Granted, we're talking 50, 60, almost 70 years. Yeah, at this point, from 1958, we're now in 2021. 28 collaborations with Steven Spielberg, five collaborations with Chris Columbus, that includes Harry Potter and Home Alone, three collaborations with Oliver Stone, which I talked about earlier. Right. Four collaborations with George Lucas, although it seems like it's more, but it's not.
0: It's how Lucas How is it a producer? How is it only four?
1: Because he's a producer.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So they only count him directing. So well, I w- and then uh Jerry Goldsmith has two hundred and seventy-five credits.
0: Wow. <laughs> for,
1: from nineteen fifty, uh nineteen fifty six or fifty-four, I think I said first and, he did a TV show.
0: And, and see, that's what I
1: yeah, that's 54.
0: what that's what I've said is like
1: Yes, that guy. <laughs> the guy that's not John Williams that you vote for. But yeah, who's basically done all of if you've seen if you've seen a Christopher Nolan movie, you've heard a Hunt
0: Zimmer score oh yeah totally so I mean wrapping up what do you where where your your final thoughts and who do you think actually who do you think comes out on top of this debate you know John Williams or Jerry Goldsmith because to me I'm still at a I'm still at such a tie between the two
1: yeah it's well and it's hard it's like apples for apples or you know some other kind of analogy that i'm not gonna be able to make a good one of right um it depends do you like loud boisterous fanfares like like i said do you like are you are you more are you somebody that likes that likes extroverted composers that will have big loud fanfares and you know and themes you can hum and remember and do all that if so john williams because i know there's gonna be some people i'll talk to about this and that's probably how they're going to choose
0: yeah um, you're, but you're... for
1: me i honestly don't know if you just look at start you know if you just look at basically memorable ones then john williams is probably going to win but at the same time jerry goldsmith's so good though it's sure. i don't know it's it's such a toss
0: yeah it's it's fun i same... don't know
1: for me i and here's the thing, if I pro I might pick John Williams just because I have such a love for the JFK score. I mean Jurassic Park Two. I mean not Jurassic Park two the number, but uh, as well because I had Jurassic Park on cassette as a score. Um, and would listen to that all the time as well. Probably would with- I probably listen to those two scores more than I have, say, Star Wars or Harry Potter or jaws either um but for jerry goldsmith you know i had the first night score with uh starring richard Gere and sean connery when looking back not that great of a movie but i enjoyed it when it first came out um from uh 1995. he also did the score for iq which is also such a cute movie and that whimsicalness from like the burbs he brought to he brought to iq and it's just in the mummy, it's also I don't know. It's so hard to. T- it's just too. It's it's really like you said a tie. I think yeah. it really just depends on your taste, on the you know, on your listeners' taste.
0: Right. Exactly. What they
1: what they enjoy, you know, what kind of style they enjoy.
0: If you had, well, let me ask you this: If you had to recommend a score by each composer, what would you pick for? Goldsmith and Williams.
1: So I'm going to, because everybody knows all the, all the, everybody knows all the ones, you know, that are popular. They, you know, I'll probably go with one that they may not know or may not uh, think of. I would probably choose either, um, might choose LA confidential or Chinatown for, Ooh, I don't know. Capricorn one was pretty good too. I actually just saw that movie not too long ago because it's on Amazon prime. Although, Alien's really good. You know, as far as one that people may not know right off the bat, I would say either Chinatown, just because a lot of people oddly enough have not seen that movie yet. Um, If you haven't, you really should find it and watch it. Um, Then, probably LA Confidential for uh, Goldsmith. Um, For John Williams, if you haven't heard the JFK score, you really need to Find a way to listen to that because that is an amazing. It's got your, it's got your, and because it's different than his Star Wars and you know his big sweeping anthems. Because it's an Oliver Stone movie, he's not going to have that kind of stuff in his score. Right. Um, so definitely probably JFK because I don't think of too many people probably if they were you know listen have seen they probably don't remember the score but i would recommend that one um you know far and away i actually had a really good score too so i had that one as well um that's more of a it has a lot of like different irish uh style like jigs and you know irish um style celtic there we go that's the word um music mixed in because it's about tom cruise who plays an irish immigrant that moves to the u.s in search to get his own land out in the west. Um, so that's got some good uh, kind of mix. Um, so, yeah, I would probably say either JFK or maybe In Far and Away. It's um, definitely two different movies, too. <laughs> right. As far as uh, style. Yeah, I'd probably go with those two. So I gave two each, even though you only asked for one.
0: I oh, don't know. That's perfectly fine.
1: I like giving people options. I'm not one to <laughs>
0: think it just one. just for, Just force them to watch Star Wars and call it a yes. day. <laughs> well, I seriously appreciate you coming on the show, Jeff. Oh, um, yeah,
1: anytime.
0: You gave some phenomenal information, and I, I think we're still going to be kind of at an impasse between the two. You know, they, they're both so good at what they do. It's like, how can you actually pick, you right. know, one or the other. So, um, I think I think it's just going to end up having to be a tie for this episode. Yeah, Unfortunately, um, but, I
1: mean it's a tie. It's a tie, and again, it kind of goes back to goes back to what people are interested. You know, styles that people are right.
0: Interested in. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, if you like Goldsmith over Williams or Williams over Goldsmith, or feel that there should be no, you know, option, and it should just be Goldsmith. Or Williams, you know that's that's perfectly okay because they are both so talented, and they both deserve to be, you know, mentioned and uh, name dropped yep. all the time because of their contributions to film.
1: Yep, I agree.
0: Well, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of SP Nation. Where can they find you, Jeff?
1: Well, you can find Printeral Advisory Movie Podcast wherever you listen to podcast. We are pretty much. On all the platforms, uh, and uh, you can find us on Facebook on our Facebook group, um, Parental Advisory Movie Podcast. On Instagram, uh, it's uh, Parental Underscore Advisory Underscore Movie Underscore Pod. If you just type out Parental Advisory Movie Podcast, it will pop up. And uh, on Twitter, we're Pa Movie Podcast. And otherwise, um, I'm on I'm on Instagram at Halls of Justice. Um, But yeah, that's where you can find us. And we have new episodes that drop every Monday.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much once again, Jeff, for being on the show. And uh, make sure you guys check out Parental Advisory. Um, I know I'm going to check it out. And that's going to be it for SP Nation for this week. Have a good one.